So last week I told you I was going to give you some life updates this week. So why don't we recap real quick, just the good parts of my holiday to share with you. And then I'm going to, I don't know, pivot into the episode. So we split our holidays, obviously, between Phil's family and my family. Luckily, we are very fortunate and we grew up two roads away from each other. So when we bounce back and forth between families, we drive less than five minutes. <laughs> like approximately a three-minute drive down to see one or the other. And so we were able to kind of split time evenly, see his family, see my family, get equal amounts of time with everyone. And let me tell you, I spent this holiday realizing how proud I am of the work that I have put in on myself in relation to my relationship with my parents. You know, and if you go back in earlier seasons and podcast episodes, I have always said consistently how difficult holidays were for me. And in recent seasons and episodes, you hear you hear me start to say things like, you know, I, I'm starting to look forward to them and it's getting easier and blah, 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 blah. And this Christmas, I would say I have never had such an easy, exciting experience being around my mom and dad. I actually had an easier time being around them than other family members. (laughs) Well, haven't we come full circle? Now, let me, let me just elaborate a little bit on that because like I, I do have good relationships with all of my family members. And the, the thing that was like weighing on me that I had alluded to in, I don't know, a recent podcast episode because somebody messaged me about it and was laughing Uh, was that I am a fucking stickler for my time being valued. And, you know, listen, I've tried since, since Phil and I have been together because he is somebody who manages his time differently and we'll leave it at that, okay? We both manage our time very differently and in ways that works best for us. But as a control freak myself, I tend to function sometimes in close relationships with, and I think this is very relatable for a lot of us, that like I know what's best, that that my way is the best way for everybody, right? And real talk, it's not. But in those moments that it comes up for me, I feel very validated and convicted and being like, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. (laughs) I know what's best. I'm the pro at managing my time and know you're wrong and I'm right, which is very black and white way of kind of like functioning. And I'm well aware it comes up for me, okay? By the way, it's very hard sometimes to share vulnerable things these days because the larger my audience has gotten y'all people have gotten nitpicky so nitpicky I tweeted this the other day nitpicky and entitled and I'm not gonna lie I am not gonna lie to you like we're gonna get into this in the episode a little bit 
later. But as a mental health professional, it's not always, and you know I've said this many times, it's not always accepted, especially on social media, if we show any emotion uh, or emotional expression other than empathy and kindness and compassion. Like the minute we, I get a little bit firm with someone or, you know, draw a line in the sand with, you know, by setting a boundary, people are a little jolted. Because the assumption and the expectation, which is unfair, is that because I'm in the mental health uh, profession, that I should just tolerate everything and give away everything for free and put up with a million questions a day. And it's like, no, like, I don't even do that in my own personal life. That's not healthy at all. So it's difficult. It's getting a little bit more difficult. I'm not going to lie to share vulnerably and honestly and transparently on different platforms because people attack. And honestly, now I'm getting people trying to diagnose me. I'm getting like DMs from people telling me that I am wrong in my in my sharing of my own experiences, which I'm so kind, which I'm not going to be moving forward. But up until today, I've been so kind that I actually engage and don't attack I don't say anything mean, but I just very firmly state the facts and, you know, in a very kind and professional way, say we all have our own unique experiences and uh, mine is going to sound different than yours, but that does not mean that I don't struggle with X, Y, and Z. Like, how fucking dare you? How dare you? I don't know. I feel like it's becoming my mission in life. I'm not going to lie. There's a burning desire inside of me to speak more openly about, I can hear people talking outside in the parking lot. And I'm kind of curious now as I'm getting sidetracked. Hello, ADHD. If they're arguing, I like to eavesdrop. I'm not going to lie. Okay. Good news. They were arguing. (laughs) So anyway, um, I, it, I've got this burning desire to kind of make it my mission to be that voice, to, to speak on it. I've noticed that, you know, like any other human, I get in my own way sometimes or I get in my own head and I'm like, no, I, I start to come up with all of these judgments and these insecurities on why I can't do this and why I have to do this and everybody else is doing it this way. But there's always got to be one that does it differently, right? Like, I'm not wrong there. I don't think. And... I've always had a desire to be the one different one in the room, right? If everybody's wearing white, I want to be in black kind of thing. And I don't see, I mean, it's not like I follow every life coach or therapist or practitioner in the world. I don't. I don't even know half of them. I have the ones that I, you know, lean into and follow and enjoy or I'm professionally like connected with in terms of like we've had a conversation or supported each other. And none of them that that are in my kind of sphere uh, speak on this. Everybody just puts on their professional face, that mask. And and I just, I'm starting to find that it's very unhealthy. It's rather toxic, right? So 
you know, yes, there's there's a professional way to handle things. And, and this kind of branches out into your life, right? Like some of you might work. Some of you might be stay-at-home parents. Some of you might not have jobs. I don't know your situation specifically. But if you've ever been in a work environment or even like as a parent, maybe when you go to school or you interact with your child's teacher, whatever, it's like for a lot of us, we put on that mask, right? And it's not necessarily a completely, for some of us, it might be, for for others of us, for others of us, just roll with me. We, it's not it's not a completely different version of ourselves. It's just maybe a more honed in version of ourselves, right? A little more fine-tuned, curated version of ourselves. And I think I'm getting to a place where I'm exhausted. I want to, there's this desire in me to be more me. I've talked about this before. And little by little, I've, you know, it's like, you know that scene in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, you know the scene where he starts to crawl out of the rhino's ass and like, (laughs) it's like body part by body part, he starts to emerge, like the finger pops out first. I wish you could see me right now. I I will start filming these episodes, by the way, so you get a visual because like this is way too entertaining to watch. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) And I'm in a room by myself. Uh, pop the finger out first and then the arm breaks through like the asshole and like and and the camera kind of pans out and you're like now you're gonna have to like go youtube the scene real quick but his arm pops out and then it's like then you see like the legs start to emerge and then his head pop like that is kind of where i'm at right like little by little like i've got a phalange out of the asshole (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know what's Honestly, sometimes I say things and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I don't know if you do this ever in your life, but I've always done it. I'm thinking as if I was on a sitcom <laughs> on TV and there's like, there's, there's like a live studio audience watching me and I'm like, uh, applause would happen right here, right? Like I almost try to play it out in my head, like in the proper comedic timed way. <laughs> and then I'm like, yep, that, yep, right there. Laughter right there. Okay. Pause, Amy. And they're going to be like, whoa, I, I, my whole life sometimes I'm like, I'm just going to walk around and pretend in my head that there are cameras on me and this is playing out in a in a sitcom like environment Uh, (laughs) where sometimes, you know, you get the person on screen in like a confessional like setting. Uh, That's kind of how it plays out in my head. So anyway, that's like what's happening here is like little by little, I'm like breaking out of the cocoon. And going, oh, okay, like this makes sense. Like I can only break out of what I'm paying attention to or aware of at that moment. And then comes more. You can't always do the full thing at once. So so little by little. But I'm realizing I am exhausted. I am, ex- I the the professional mask that I have put on is no longer working for me the way it ha- it looks and functions. It's just not. So I'm laying it down to rest, 
and I need to figure out a new version of what professional Amy looks and sounds like. And mind you, professional Amy in a one-on-one environment is this Amy you're talking to now. It's more or less how I function on social media because I know you don't hear the um, tone of my voice and you don't necessarily know me on a personal level or know my character. And a lot of times I'm, I'm interacting with people who just found my page at random and don't even follow me and are determined to misunderstand me. And I think that I try to portray an image that is acceptable by society in the mental health profession, even though, yeah, I'm just a life coach. Some of you can just go. You can't see my finger right now. But even though that is what I my, my professional title is, doesn't mean that I don't still work in the mental health field. I do very heavily. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people online don't find the name of my podcast appropriate because I talk about trauma and the word bitch is in the title. And it's like, then you're just like, then it's just not a podcast for you. There's plenty of trauma and abuse survivors that love my podcast. That's okay. But what I really want to say, we, you and I, we're going to keep it real here. You know what I really want to say? Fuck off. That's fine. Fuck, but fuck off. Why are you telling me? That's like walking up to a complete stranger on the street and being like, I hate the color of your car. And they're like, okay, what do you want me to fucking do about it? This is my car and I like it. And they're like, well, I don't, I don't like it. You know, this color signifies this symbolically, blah, 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 blah. I have bad experiences with the color black. So, so I just, I can't, I can't look at black. And it's like, why are you telling me? Just go away then. Close your eyes. It's probably not safe if you see a black car. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Put on colored glasses. They exist. Color therapy. It's really good, by the way. Go on Amazon, buy some color therapy glasses. My best friend and her husband live and swear by them. And they're magic. You feel so much better when you put on like pink glasses or blue glasses. Put them on. But why are you telling me? And that is like, This type of conversation doesn't happen. It's all unspoken. And that bugs me. It really bugs me, which is, by the way, my segue into today's episode, which is about the emotion of anger, right? And, And how it's so stigmatized. People do not like anger. They don't love when people express their anger, and that's mainly because a lot of people mismanage their anger. We're going to get into this right now. But like as a as a mental health professional, I'm not going to pretend all other emotions and parts of me don't exist when I am at work. I'm just not. That's kind of why like when I get questions from people, about, well, what kind of boundary do I set at my job? And I'm like, what do you mean? The same boundary you would set, your boundaries are consistent. Now, the way they might look or the way you uphold them is going to be different in a work environment versus like with your mother-in-law, but maybe not. 
like I value my time. I'm going to value my time the same way via email, on social media, with my best friends. But yeah, is it going to look a little different with my best friends? Am I going to be a little more flexible and easygoing because I know them on a personal level and I understand their character and I'm not misunderstanding them? But I also have boundaries. So if you always cancel on me or you don't return my phone calls or text messages, eventually I'm going to say something about it. But I might extend them a little more grace than I'm going to with a client. No offense, but we're in a professional setting and time is money. Time is money, and I am at the age now, 38 years old, thank you very much, where I don't want to waste my time, not in any area of my life. I just don't want to. I'm also setting the groundwork currently, this is between you and me, y'all, for the next steps in my life, which for me, that's like the next step in my relationship and having a child or more. So I am looking at everything I do now from the angle of what kind of parent do I want to be and how present do I want to be and what do I want my seven days a week to look like um, and how do I want to feel in those seven days. And currently, as it stands in the present moment, I, in my work, in certain areas of my work, I've outgrown what I'm doing. And so I'm pivoting and changing. And even if that's just how I interact with people on social media, let's say, I'm pivoting. So let's now pivot real quick back to my initial story about um, getting along with people at Christmas and managing time, and I think I told the story briefly about managing time, but but I, I don't want to harp on that story. I just want to say that like that came up for me and the recognition of how much fucking work I've put into my relationship with my parents and the recognition that other people in my family have not done that work. And so witnessing now in the mental and emotional place that I'm currently at in those relationships, being able to be removed from certain things that used to trigger me deeply and witnessing those now those similar triggers coming up for other members of my family and just like that moment where i recognize oh i know exactly where you are and i know what to say in that moment to you that's going to maybe be helpful but nobody can change where you're at Right. And so I'm noticing less of a need to save and fix people and more of just a recognition of their emotional state and being like, okay, well, you know what? If that's where you're at, that's where you're at. But here's what I recommend. If this is bothering you, maybe go talk to them directly about it. Don't, don't bitch to me. Like, that's where I just like my tolerance. This is what's so fascinating. My tolerance now, and I swear to God, it's so weird. As compared to even just a year ago, for bullshit has shrunk in a very good way. When I first met Phil, I was like, this man has like very little patience. This is what I thought for people struggling. That is how I framed it. And the truth is, he is so fucking patient with me. He's so patient when I'm struggling. As long as I am actively showing him 
through behavioral changes that I'm working on improving some of the things that I deeply struggle with. Then he is all for sitting there and holding me when I'm sobbing my eyes out because I'm severely anxious because I got triggered by something that had nothing to do with him, right? So he's so patient. But when I'm not helping myself, he doesn't have time for it. And I actually resented it at the start of our relationship. And now it's one of the biggest things that I look at him for. And I'm like, okay, thank God for you. Like, not only do I respect you so much for having shown me that, but also for having like treated me that way so I could learn that I needed to embody that in my own life as well. Because he said to me once, he go, I, I said, I remember I was crying about something. And I was like, I'm so nice. I don't know why people don't realize how nice I am. And he goes, he goes, Am, you are nice to the degree that you're a fucking doormat. So stop doing it. And I was like, I thought I had boundary at that time. I thought I had set boundaries and I thought I wasn't. And he goes, you have very good boundaries in certain areas, but in this specific area, and he was speaking specifically about my family and the, the way I was operating with them at the time. He's like, you don't. You don't have very good boundaries here. Fix it. And I was like, that's not how you give advice. Like I was just digging in. That's not good at fix it. That's not good advice. Thank God you don't work in this field. Like anything to argue it. Now I step back and I go, man had a point. He had a point. Thank God for him. So there's a little life update for you. Let's just pivot right back into pivot is now my favorite where I've been watching a lot of friends lately. Uh, (laughs) Let's get into anger. Anger is so stigmatized. And a lot of people are scared of their own anger. A lot of people are scared of other people that are angry. Speaking on behalf of myself, when I was a child, and when I say child, I mean, I don't know, let's say from the age of like 10. What is that? Is 10? Like, are you preteen when you're 10? We'll roll with that. I'm like a preteen, right? Yeah. Because, like, I feel like, when do you hit the teens? This is a really great question. Like, is is the age of 11 and 12 a teen? Are you a teen? Or are you a teen? Like, for some reason, I think of teens as, like, any number past 10 up until 19. That's your last teenage year. I don't know. I don't know. Write me. Tell me if, it, if, if I'm right or wrong here. Uh, <laughs> but let's say from the age of 10... Uh, until, uh, I think almost, I would say like 22, honestly, if I'm being really honest with you, 22, um, I was a really angry person, very, very angry person. I had friends, um, I, I wouldn't say in high school, but more so in college, call me or refer to me as angry Amy, which... You call me that, I will kick you in the jaw very fucking hard, okay? Don't call me that. Because I'm not actually have now gone to a place and I'm real and I've I've learned it and I've realized it in the last year that I don't let myself feel anger very long these days and I def like I don't let myself feel it. That's number one. And I never, 
never, it's a very rare occurrence that somebody hears me express anger to other people. Like Phil said to me the other day when we were talking about this, he has never seen me angry. How about that? Wild, right? Almost two years. He has never seen me angry. And that's because I, I went from really struggling with how to manage my anger as a, as a young girl and being in an environment where there was a lot of anger growing up and a lot of fighting and yelling and screaming and whatnot, like just a lot of mismanagement of anger there, to then becoming a young woman who was A, scared of anyone getting angry at her. I did not like the feeling of conflict. If I, I was scared of it. I also did not like feeling misunderstood. And I often felt like that growing up. And I just didn't like anyone upset with me, period. Mainly because, again, the way that we managed those emotions and resolved conflict in our house growing up wasn't productive. So what was attached to like all of that fear and that discomfort with being misunderstood and unliked and angry people was the fear of rejection, the fear of abandonment, the fear of, um, the fear of abandonment, (laughs) rejection. (laughs) Oh, it's so easy to lose your train of thought. Rejection, abandonment, abandonment, um, oh, attack, fear of being attacked. Um, just like I didn't, I didn't want anyone to, to misunderstand me, not like me, hate me, reject me, leave me, things like that, right? So I, I at some point, unbeknownst to me, because I'm only just kind of like honing in on it these days. At some point, unbeknownst to me, I overcompensated. And I went from being a super angry person to, I remember, you might remember too, if you've been around for the last decade following me, then a very spiritual person. And when I became a very spiritual-minded person and like really leaned into the heavy woo-woo for a while, I was meditating for hours every day. I was just like trying to take myself to a blissful state and really at that point not aware too much of trauma and how trauma impacts your body, but was able to kind of, for temporary periods of time, um, ascend that stuff at least as long as I was sitting for an hour or more a day in meditation and like having minimal interactions with people outside of my home environment and really isolating myself in the home environment I had lived at my parents' house after college for quite some time. So uh, so I went to this extreme opposite, right, of just like never addressing those issues per se at that point because not being really aware that they were still issues. Just leaned into something that felt really good. And it did. I'm not I'm not mocking it. It did feel good for a period of time. But again, I didn't have the knowledge of trauma or, or fight or flight or my body. I didn't until I started to have physical symptoms of like inflammation and pain in my body. That's what brought my attention to like, oh, there's something deeper going on here that I can't just like bypass. Ha <laughs> ha which a lot of people do, that spiritual bypass thing. Uh, 
I can't just bypass by meditating it away and, you know, thinking positive and focusing on the positive. See, everything I talk about, I've lived, y'all. So cut to, um, by the way, if you missed that reference, that's a, a recent a recent Instagram post I put up about social uh, 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 mental health advice that is not is not accounting for a traumatized nervous system. Check out that post. It's a pink one. It's like a thread on my Instagram page. So I, 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 I went to an, an extreme, right? And then as I started to address things, I was addressing everything else. I've never, because everything else was kind of at the forefront of what I was dealing with. Relationships, relational trauma, blah, 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 blah. Anger was no longer like a a main factor that was playing out in any area of my life. I didn't have angry relationships happening. So my attention wasn't really brought to needing to address that emotion. Until recently, until like the last year, where now... I feel safer than I ever have. I feel incredibly supported by the people I have around me in my life. My nervous system is regulated uh, more than it's dysregulated, which is a huge accomplishment for the amount of complex trauma that I had gone through. And so, so my life, generally speaking, is very balanced and healthy. And so when you clear up the shit, right, in a lot of other areas, it allows you to almost like focus the spotlight on things that are now like not life or death matters to address, are optional things to address. And if you are someone like me that you really value personal growth and self-understanding, then I take these opportunities to go, oh my God, there's, there's no actual problems in my life. There aren't. And so there's space to just divulge and these these other areas that I, I just have morbid curiosity about. Or I'm noticing something that's not necessarily causing me harm, but I'm noticing something and it's causing a slight irritation. And, and now I'm just like, I'm more sensitive and catching these things before they become actual things, which is a fabulous feeling. And one of those things is, you know, part of what I shared earlier, stemming from my profession, the the mediums in which I I deliver information and the feelings that I have around how I have to present myself or what people want from me or expect from me or act as if they're entitled to get from me. And it's bringing up this emotion uh, of of annoyance and anger and a thought process of this is not fair. And so I had to start looking at the like this is not fair belief system, which took me in a million other directions. So we're not going to talk about to th- that today because because that's just a whole different thing. But I want to what I want to talk about today is the anger because what I've realized in me kind of like entertaining this, you know, self-discovery of sorts around my own repression of anger, I've realized how and why that's happening. And, and, and so let's, let's just share it 
because I think it might help bring some attention and awareness to some of you guys and what you might be feeling or help you navigate a situation that, you know, somebody else is angry and you don't like being on the receiving end of it. Anger is an incredibly important emotion that we all have to let ourselves feel. Yeah, I said have to because all our emotions are important, every single one, not just the positive. I don't know who decided to start teaching people that, but it's a load of crap, so stop listening to it. All of your emotions, negative and positive, equally as important. They all deliver us messages. They all provide us some level of guidance internally to show us what we're wanting, what we're not accessing, what we're suppressing, what we're avoiding, what we need to do, what we need to take action steps around, set boundaries around, feel more respected in, blah, 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 blah. Anger is so important. Now, I define anger as misguided passion. And I'm going to break that down because I really want you to connect with it. Now, I know, and and I will, I will preface with this, there are a million other professionals out there who may define anger differently. I'm sure there are Wikipedia definitions and other definitions for anger. Cool. If you want those, Google them. If you want mine and my thought process, keep listening, okay? I, I, I'm just going to get firm now and not disclaimer everything anymore because the reality is, is that like, if you're listening to my opinion and my, and, and my work and the way I look at things, then like you're here because you want that perspective on it. If you're going to listen to it to argue that it's wrong, Or tell me so-and-so over here and tag their account. Talks about it this way. Okay, great. Then go over to so-and-so. I don't give a shit. That's, I'm annoyed. See, that's what annoyance sounds like for Amy. Don't worry, getting there. (laughs) So anger is misguided passion by my definition. Misguided passion means this. You value something highly. And when you experience anger, it's because you've bumped into a person or a situation or a circumstance that is not valuing what you value the same way. And so you feel the gap between the way they value it and the way you do, and it creates the emotion of anger. Okay? That's my definition of anger. Works for me. Makes complete sense to me. Fabulous. Let's keep going. Because I understand that anger is misguided passion, I'm not scared of my anger. It immediately gives me a message that I value something differently than someone else. And so then what I have to deal with is everything else that comes up for me in terms of coping with that feeling or that awareness, right, in that situation. Now, the problem lies with anger management in what are those ways of coping? Now, people who have anger management problems lack healthy ways to cope with that recognition. Even and, And most people are not even aware of that recognition, right? Something makes them angry, they attack it. That's it. That was me as a kid. You made me angry. I I hated you. I attacked you. I I what's the word? Vicinerated you. (laughs) 
I don't know if that's the word, but we're going to roll with it. Sometimes I just hear words and then want to say them because I, I understand the context they belong in, but I mispronounce them all the time. Phil is finding joy in this now, by the way. He, it used to bother him, and now he's just like, he shakes his head and rolls his eyes, and I'm like, that's the man I love. Thank you. Just shrug your shoulders and be like, this is just who she is. <laughs> so people who struggle with managing their anger or are scared of that feeling lash out. So they lack those healthy ways to deal with that recognition or that feeling or that lack of recognition. Like they don't even, they're not aware. They don't have words to put to what they're realizing. And so without that knowledge, they just attack the person or the situation, right? And those are usually the people that go, you made me feel. I hate you. Blah, 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 blah. That was me growing up. Like to the extreme. Um, so, so, so when you are scared of your anger, some people, like I just described, lash out because they want to get rid of it. It's that whole hot potato theory I've explained and described in detail in countless other podcast episodes. Just listen to them all. I'm sure you will discover it. You toss your hot potato to the other person because you're like, this, this is fucking hot. I don't want to deal with it. It's like when you take a pot or, a, or I'm sorry, like a tray out of the oven and you're using an oven mitt, but <laughs> but it's a shitty oven mitt. And so you feel the heat go penetrate right through the oven mitt. You ever have that happen? It's the fucking worst. And you are caught off guard. And what do you do? You have this knee jerk reaction to drop it. When you know and you have developed a healthy way to cope, you're more mindful of the fucking oven mitt you pick up and you make sure that it's going to not penetrate the heat and burn your hand because the goal in putting the oven mitt on is to protect yourself, right? And so you're, you become more mindful. You slow down. You're more intentional in what you're about to do before you do it so you don't haphazardly pick something up, and then have this knee-jerk reaction and drop it. When we're moving too fast in our day and we're, we're functioning from a mindless place, that's what we do in all areas of our life. We say haphazard things that hurt people. We behave in ways that are mindless, that hurt people and hurt ourselves. When we become aware and in tune with our behaviors and our emotions and then how they not only impact ourselves, but how they impact those in our lives, we live a more slow, intentional, mindful life, which is important. And it's a healthy way to function. And it's a healthy way to function with our emotions, right? So a lot of people can be scared, right? So they, they just have that default, like knee jerk, toss the hot potato to another person. Other times, people have become so scared of that anger that they have similarly to me overcompensated and gone to the other extreme. Now, speaking on behalf of myself, my other extreme is I skip right over anger and I immediately go to empathy. Now, what drives that behavior pattern, which is not, not necessarily completely unhealthy, it's just imbalanced. What drives that behavior pattern is I'm trying to diffuse possible conflict re uh, rejection and abandonment. So I immediately go to a mindset of let me diffuse this and fix it because I 
never trusted anyone growing up to to be the leader in this scenario and resolve the conflict. I was conditioned to have to always go apologize and fix the situation regardless of whether it was my fault or not. Just go, he's pissed off, just go apologize to him. So my my knee-jerk reaction is to immediately fix because I don't like conflict and I don't like someone upset with me and it makes me so uncomfortable. And I'm speaking in present tense because, yes, that still very much comes up for me, but I am now aware of it and working on something like coping differently, okay? So I'm always going to be honest with you there. Now, what happens is we do one of those two things, right? We either have an outburst or we repress it. Now, I'm going to speak to the repression because the outburst part is kind of like cut and dry and I just went over it. But the repression part, like the, I've tucked it away so deeply that I don't actually let my anger be expressed. And so it's um, percolating. (laughs) Remember that song? It's time for the percolator. It's time for the percolator. Come on. That was like a very big song when I was in college. It's time for the percolator. It's time for the percolator. It was a whole dance too. Anyway. It's like percolating inside of me. This is what happens when you don't put a, put words to your feelings and express them and feel seen and heard and validated in them. They live inside of you and it's just like a pot starting to boil and it will get bigger and bigger. Like the bubbles start to, you know, it just starts to really bubble over. And then all of a sudden, if you don't contain it, right, then what's going to happen? It's going to explode. And that happens for some people as well. It's like they could go years sometimes holding it in, holding it. And then one thing on one day unexpectedly can rub them, cut them so deep that the lid pops off and boom, you get this version of them that you've never, ever seen before. So like when people come to me and they go, Amy, I've been in a situation. Mind you, I'm not mocking you if you've ever asked me. This is a very valid question. I've been there myself. But when you're like, Amy, I look for green flags. I set my boundaries. But like so-and-so that I was dating acted this way for like two years and then suddenly switched one day. And what do I do in those situations? And it's like, number one, you can't do anything in those situations except uphold your boundaries. And I'm more than sure, and this is not to blame you, that there were moments where things were not necessarily functioning healthy for them, but you weren't tuned into it, nor do you need to be. So so what do you do when someone suddenly shifts on you? Well, A, you, you uphold your boundary right? Cut and dry. Very simple. How do you prevent that from occurring? Well, what I can say is this. One of your green flags moving forward should be, do they express all of their emotions in healthy, productive ways? Again, I've been there myself. So when I do the, (laughs) it's out of my own discomfort in sharing that, but I've been there myself. And the reality is, is that like you don't control them. And there's nothing wrong with you that you're not so tuned in because they're not expressing. How are you supposed to know what they feel and think and how they cope unless they show you or they express it? It's not your job to go into relationships or meet people and immediately analyze 
everything that they feel and think and do. It's just your job to go in and and advocate for yourself and maintain those, those boundary lines so you do feel respected. And in my experiences, because there's plural, I have... I I look back at a lot of the abusive relationships, toxic relationships that I was in, and I can say that I was in an emotional and mental state in the beginning of those relationships where I overlooked a lot of things and I wasn't upholding boundaries. I wasn't because I didn't feel like I could. I felt like I'd be rejected and the list goes on, right? And so... I don't want to invalidate anyone's experiences ever. In my experience, it has always held true that, no, it's never never been my fault that I've leaned into an abusive man because their abusive behavior is not my fault, nor is it my responsibility. What has been my responsibility is having to reconcile the realization that I entered those relationships with a certain level of awareness and comfort and tolerance for behaviors that were harmful to me. And I didn't know that at the time, and there was no way for me to know it at the time. I was where I was when I was there. And so until those experiences happened, then it brought my awareness and my attention to things differently, right? Things that I might have overlooked, things that I didn't realize were operating inside of me, and I made the change. I think a lot of people get stuck because of their pain on the things they've been through. And as someone who has been there myself, I'll say, I get it. I get it. You're going to have to reconcile those feelings in the process of healing. But I think you will always land on the conclusion that like moving forward, just learn from those and set and uphold, 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 uphold. Don't just repeat the boundary over and over. Uphold the boundary. At the first sign of someone having an outburst with me, I'm laying the law down real quick. You are not speaking to me that way moving forward. And if that were to happen again, I can't continue a relationship with you. This is how I want to be spoken to. This is how I will be treated. I will not tolerate less, period. And then if they show me different, boom. You, I told you. I told you you had your chance. I told you. But a lot of people don't want to do that. I didn't ever want to do that either. I wasn't strong enough. So... Let's just go back. I was going to say pivot and I caught myself. You're welcome. Uh, Let's go back to what I was saying where I skip my angry expression and I go straight to empathy. I go straight to fixing. I go straight to compassion. I feel for the person and I usually just cry. I cry. Now, I've talked about this recently with some people in my life and some of them are a similar way. Some people close to me were like, oh my God, I do too. Like, I just don't express my anger. I go straight to tears. I go, same. Phil has seen me cry way more than he's he will ever probably see me yell. I, I'm not someone who yells. Um, and, and even if, like, he probably thinks he's never seen me angry. But again, my expression of anger comes out in in a way where it's like, I don't know, masked by deep, 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 deep empathy and compassion and recognition. Like I always go straight to a place of communicating in those moments where I'm like, I understand what you're saying or what you're feeling, which is my whole like, (laughs) I can't believe I'm going to, I'm going to liken it to this, but I'm like, I am like the hostage negotiator. (laughs) 
by default. I'm immediately like, hand me the fucking like phone. I'm going to talk to the man in the building right now who has like 15 hostages. I can talk him down. I can do it. I'm great at it. Give me the phone. Like that is the mindset that I have when I go into those moments. So cut to now realizing this and being like, fuck, man, I want to let my anger out. I, like, I feel like there's just, just, again, this, like, boiling water inside of me that's like, let me out, let me out, let me out. But just let, let me out in a productive way. But just express me, please. I deserve to be expressed, too. And that's what's coming up for me. And so if we circle back to the beginning of this episode, um, I think, because I re-record sometimes, so I have a very bad memory <laughs> these days. And I don't remember if I might have said this in the beginning, but we'll pretend I did. I have this urge, this desire to put this voice to mental health professionals who think that they have to like present themselves a certain way, specifically on social media, not even mental health professionals. Like that's the main thing because that's where I work. But anyone, I mean, I feel like influencers and creators are a little more loose in their expression because they can be. But when you're a professional, yeah, there's there's a way to handle your business professionally. But I feel like both can exist. And that's something that a lot of trauma and abuse survivors don't default to. The, the mentality that things are not black and white. The realization that nuance exists. That both things can be true. I can be both professional and firm with you. I can be both professional and on social media express myself freely if I want to. I can be both professional and mature and kind and empathetic and great at what I do and also show you healthy anger if I want to. And I just think that's the place that I am currently at now is figuring out how to integrate that that mindset with a behavioral change because that's kind of the next step is I've recognized something needs to change. I want to express a certain way. What will that look like is now what I have to ask myself. What will that sound like? And really kind of sitting down and figuring out what are the things that make you the most angry? And for me, it's, it's really the entitlement that I see towards professionals like myself on social media. Like, uh, and I don't see it everywhere. And I and and that's the other realization is like part of me is like I know this is my emotional experience and my perception of things. Not everybody's, right? Maybe a lot of people relate to this, but not everybody relates to this. But in my experience, and I have talked to other professionals online who share a similar experience of like giving a lot and not feeling always appreciated or or putting a lot of time and effort into something and it's difficult at times when there's always like one or two people out of hundreds or thousands that have something nitpicky or critical to say and your mind latches on to those two criticisms and I explored this recently with B in a session and what what she reminded me of is that I am motivated more by failure than success, which I feel like I'm just going to leave you with a cliffhanger there and end on that note because I don't want this episode to go on over an hour. But 
that was interesting to me to realize is that I do hone in on the one to two criticisms in the comment section or the DMs or whatever more than I fo- like I focus and appreciate the positives and the and the reviews and the kind remarks and the whatever but I am programmed and she called it your spidey sense it was so funny when she explained it this way she's like your spidey sense is to hone in on what needs to be fixed and improve it because of the way you grew up not to look at all the things you did well and applaud yourself right and so again both things can be true I can appreciate the praise and the compliments and the support and the community that is there and also immediately default to looking at Where can I improve? Where do I need to fix? And so I think part of kind of merging those mindsets and finding a balance there is also finding a way to, in a healthy way, integrate my honest expression of emotion that we like to call anger. What will, what, how will that express? And what will it kind of um, present us? Right, Because there's really nothing for me to deliver in my work that is angry, per se. But I know that in certain ways I hold back saying certain things in, 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 in different contexts. Or when I get on camera talking about something, the minute I sound a little revved up, people start in the comments going, are you okay? And you're like, yeah, I'm fine. Am I not allowed to be like, passionate or energized or I don't know convicted in something I'm saying like you're uncomfortable that I am very enthusiastic about this or a little angry or passionate or whatever like that's making you uncomfortable and then as a human I'm now uncomfortable like because I'm uncomfortable with anger and it's a vicious cycle so that's all that I want to share with you today I think I think that this conversation will probably be one that we revisit down the road and and I look forward to what that com- what what will that be when it comes up and what will I have to report on then but I think that gives you a clarity around anger, insight and awareness into your own anger and angry expression and really maybe just like tuning into do you have a fear around it do you repress it and and you just like overcompensate do you allow it to express and maybe you're not happy because it's not a productive way of expressing maybe you never had words to put to your anger and now you do so I hope that this episode provided that for you and gave you some sense of feeling seen and validated in in this emotional expression And moving forward, I believe that I'm going to start bringing in some interviews, guys, and some video um, footage of the podcast is my hope after that, um, whether that's going to happen simultaneously or one before the other, we shall see. But we're a We're going to take those next steps in the podcast and bring in some really great guests. Um, I know some of the guests that I do want to bring in are going to be 
professionals and others are not. They might be people from my personal life that you've heard me talk and share about because I think also that's an important um, thing to hear and witness and, and have exposure to. I don't know, again, every podcast in the world, but in my own little sphere uh, of awareness, I am not clued into any mental health-like podcasts where, you know, the professional is bringing in their partner, their, you know, no, I'm sorry, I am. There, Those exist. But maybe bringing in their mother, right, and having a conversation like that, I do, never mind. I, I digress. Those do exist. They just don't exist with Amy. And now they will. So stay tuned. Um, I'm excited to share those things with you that are going to be coming up soon. Please take a moment and don't forget to go leave me a review of the podcast if you're enjoying it, uh, a five-star review on Spotify or a a five-star review and a a little comment on Apple Podcasts. And uh, if you are enjoying everything I'm talking about and you want to kind of like dive into it a little bit deeper, I have tons of resources available to you like my Inner Genius Resource Center, uh, my Boundary Setting for Trauma Survivors course, and other downloads that are free and available for a small fee, all available on amyfeedler.com. So go check that out. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on TikTok at amythelifecoach. And we will chat next Tuesday. Talk to you soon.